You all sounded really good out there, just so you know that. It's kind of nice sitting up here or standing here and hearing those voices behind you and the voices in front of you. I'm getting like stereophonic stuff going on. I don't know. All right, raise your hand. Don't, don't, not yet. Hold on. Let me ask you a question first. <laughs> How many of you, and put away the humble hat for a moment. How many of you consider yourselves fairly good singers? I didn't say sinners. I said singers. <laughs> What's going on over here? I mean, you, no, seriously, if, if you consider yourself fairly good singers. All right, there's a couple of you. Very good. How many of you sing in the shower? I see a little bit more, a couple more hands go. Okay, very good. I, I do sometimes, you know. And uh, How many of you sing in the car? Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Everybody's singing in the car because you can sing with somebody or with something that's going on behind you. How many of you were... Come on, this is a little bit moment here. How many of you have been made fun of your singing when you were younger? Yeah? I'm going to raise my hand. I was, I was made fun of. I was, I was, basically the line was, okay, sir, stick the drums. You know, don't sing. <laughs> that was the line. And so I, I never sang. And, uh, but I, I love singing. I love singing in the shower. I love singing in my car. I love singing with the congregation. But if all of a sudden something happened and everybody got quiet and I'm just singing, I'd be, like, terrified. Like, what just happened, right? I read this article, and it's entitled, Science Has Great News for People Who Can't Sing. So I'm like, I got to read this. And just, just as a little excerpt from it, it says, forget the middle school haters. <laughs> Sorry. I, I loved it right from the beginning, right? Forget the middle school haters who shamed you into believing that you were tone deaf. <clears throat> a new study reveals, a new study reveals that singing is more like playing an instrument than previously thought. Singing accurately is a skill that can be taught and developed. And that means that even the worst singers among us, should keep singing because it improves reading and verbal skills and raises IQ, helps in learning new languages, slows the effect of aging, better memory, enhances self-confidence, and so much more. Singing, it says, in particular, has great physical benefits too. It's an aerobic activity. Why didn't anybody tell me this before? It increases blood oxygenation, it improves heart health, and exercises core muscles. The act of singing releases endorphins, and the brain has this feel-good chemical going on. Isn't that awesome? That's why we, that's why like karaoke, or whatever that's called, karaoke. You can tell how much I do that. Karaoke is so popular, you know. Of course, they're normally in bars where somebody's had a couple of drinks first, but, you know. In short, the article ends, singing, no matter how bad, is a good thing. In fact, it might just make you better. Don't let the haters keep you down. I love that. I'm hoping that today will encourage all of us to sing no matter what. Is that, is that fair? Are you guys with me on this? 
All right? So, so I, like, I'm really hoping that by the time I'm done with this sermon and we're singing that last song together, that I, I'm getting blown out, man. Like, the, everybody's just singing really intensely because they realize how good it is for them. And you may not feel like singing, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to read to you a story from the book of Acts. Now, <clears throat> a couple of things that I want to share with you about this story. And the first thing I want to share with you is that, that if you have been raised a believer and you've heard this story a hundred times, uh, which is very likely, uh, I'm going to ask you to, to, to do something. I'm going to ask you to, to ex experience it from this perspective. There are people in this church right now, I am sure of it. I don't know who it is, but there are people in the church right now that probably will hear this story for the very first time. So I want you to listen to the story. If you, ever, if you ever watch the movie and then you said, I'm going to take my friend to that, watch that movie because it's so good, and you're sitting next to them and you're like, watch, wait, wait for this part, wait for this part. You know that, that feeling you get? I want you to feel that way about this story if you've heard that story before. Don't let the familiarity of the story rob you of its blessings. Remember, I always say that, and I mean that from the, from the bottom of my heart this time. Just really, really look at it from the perspective that you, somebody's in here that's never heard this story. The second thing I would say to, you, say to you is within the next few minutes, as I read this story, I'm going to read it through once, and then we'll go through it a little bit at a time. You may want to find the pen because I'm going to make seven points about this that you may want to write down just for your own benefit. If you don't, that's okay. You will not offend me. But I do want you to know that that's something that's probably going to happen. And I have a pen here if anybody wants it. I am stealing it from somebody. Midtown Dental Clinic, in fact. <laughs> uh, you're welcome to have it if you want it. Okay. So, I'm going to read the story first and then we'll go from there. And it's found in Acts chapter 16 and uh, we will have it on the screen here in a moment. Uh, Acts chapter 16 beginning with verse 16. You want to go to verse 16. So, yeah, you're, like, you're giving away the punchline before we even get there. <laughs> All right, here we go. Once, and, and it'll be up there, but if not, you can follow in your Bible. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling and predicting the future. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. And she could no longer predict the future. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men 
are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas. Doesn't take much to get a crowd going, does it? And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten after they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open. All the prison doors flew open. And everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Can I get an amen? <laughs> the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates had ordered that you and Silas be released. You can now leave and go in peace. But Paul, being Paul, said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, 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 no. No way. Let them come themselves and escort us out. And so the officers reported this to the magistrates. Can you imagine that little conversation? And when they heard the Paul, that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city nicely. <laughs> After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went back to Lydia's house where they met with the, with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. Amen? Amen. So let's, let's, let's glean some things from this story that I think are really important. 
Let's start off with this uh, beginning of the, in verse 16 again. Not 26, 16. It says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So here's my first thing to tell you right now. Not everyone who seems to predict the future is a prophet of God. Did you hear me? You know, we get so easily dazzled by the magical aspect of people that know things and do things and say things, and we're like, wow, that's got to be... And, and, and this person is not only uh, prophesying, not only telling the future, but he's, she's actually doing some other stuff, which we're going to talk about in a moment here. She's sitting there, and, and Jesus warned us, didn't he? He said, be aware, because one day there's going to be somebody, there are going to be false prophets coming. And when they come, do not be deceived. See, it's never been, this is really important, it's never been about how much we know or how good we are at reading the future or understanding Bible prophecy. It's always been about who we know. Never been, in fact, Paul in the letter uh, to the Corinthians uh, in the love chapter, you've, you've heard that one before, right? This is, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mystery, which by the way, I don't know anybody like that. But he says, even if I could have all that, but have not love, what? I'm just making noise. And where does that love come from? You see, as a church, we ought to be more concerned about becoming a loving church because we behold the love in Jesus Christ. We, we, we spend time with him. We've acknowledged him as our Savior, and we appreciate what he's done for us. We, we fall in love with him, and he loves us, and, and that love shines through us, and that love shines to people. That is way more important. Not everyone who predicts the future is a prophet for God. The girl, it says, followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, I catch this, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Hey, she may not be of God or for God, but here's what I do know. She's on our side. She's, she's, she's advertising for us. This is the second thing you may want to write down. Not everyone that endorses you is necessarily on your side. I think all of us know that. I think all of us have experienced those moments when we've been endorsed by someone only to recognize that they were only doing that to further their own personal agendas. Everything seemed great. And they were saying just the right things. But we know what it's like to have somebody betray us, don't we? And here's this girl, and you would say, well, why would he do that? I mean, at least she's, you know what? 
Paul knew this. Paul knew that ultimately this would end up in, in, in some kind of manipulative. See, Paul had the gift of discernment. And he could sense that there was something wrong about even her endorsement. Paul knew that ultimately they would be discredited by their association with her. It wasn't about her association with them. It was about their association with her. Are you following what I'm saying here? Now, what's really cool about this, he, he doesn't talk to her. Who does he talk to? The Bible says he talks to the Spirit. Isn't that cool? Let me just... I know, I know it's not you. It's not, I know it's not your fault. I know you're possessed. So let me just talk to the spirit and get this over with. I love that. I, I love that, man. It's just fantastic right there. And so it says that uh, finally, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. Of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. How cool is that? Except for the owners. If you were the owners, you wouldn't have said amen. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, because that's all they cared about, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now here's the third thing I want to share with you. Not every uproar causes disorder. Not every uproar causes disorder. Sometimes I believe God needs to unsettle us. Are you following me? I think God sometimes needs to stir us. In fact, the Bible says that that when these guys would come to town, people were afraid. They were like, these are the people that that have turned the world upside down. They're unsettling us. They're they're turning everything upside down. The truth was the world was already upside down. They were trying to turn it right side up. But guess what was going on here? What was going on here is that they they didn't like being unsettled. They didn't like being part of, of of this thing here. Let me just tell you something. God is looking for believers who don't mind being unsettling at times they don't mind causing an uproar at times how are you doing okay i know we live in the western society but this sounds like really crazy stuff but i'm just want to tell you this is really important right now god is looking for dangerous people see satan is a dangerous being he has dangerous arsenals he, some of some of his stuff is he he has turned the awesomeness of God into an adventureless, boring experience. 
So that people outside, people that are not believers, they look at believers and they go, this is religion, meaningless form, this is it, this is boring. They're not really talking about anything important. They're not talking about anything true. They're not, they're not even, they're just playing the game. Dangerous arsenal. Another way that, one of the other things that he uses is desensitizing and distracting voices. Less and less, man, I listen to the media. I, I, you don't even know who to believe anymore. You know, it's like, oh, whatever. And it just desensitizes us and numbs us. Or, or even the allurement of success, the accumulation of things. You know, Satan will use whatever he needs to to discourage you, to desensitize you, to quiet you, to make you just plain. Some of you have been quiet by dream killers. People have said, no, you can't do that. There's no, come on, what are you thinking? Are you kidding me? Please. And Satan sits back and he's just so, some of you have been so desensitized by this thought, like, what does it really matter? Some of you, some of you think like this. If it's already known that God is going to win and nothing I can do can change the outcome, why contribute at all? Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever thought this way? Yes. You know, there's been times in my thought, I'm like, like, really, what are we doing? Is this just a game? What's going on here? But what if, I believe this with all my heart, by the way, and it's taken me a while to realize this. What if the experience of heaven is forever altered by what we do or do not do? Is that possible? Not only is it possible, I believe that's exactly what's going on here. And I don't think we realize that there could be somebody, if we believe in choice, it's possible that there could be somebody that is not going to be in heaven because we didn't have the courage to reach out to them. Now, God's going to do everything he can to reach out to that person. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that person is not guaranteed. And if maybe I had the courage, that person would be in heaven. And maybe I have forever altered my experience in heaven. Think about that one. The last thing is that he uses is the lack of inspiring mentors. I wonder where are the inspiring mentors of today? Where are those dangerous disciples of Christ who could not shut up, lock up, you could not beat up? Those disciples of Christ whose mission could not be foiled, whose character could not be soiled, and their bodies could not be boiled. In fact, when they were trying to boil the Apostle John, guess what he was doing? So. It's almost like a shower. Let's sing. (laughs) We are told that he was singing. How cool is that? (laughs) Singing psalms. Wow. And when they came to town, the unbelievers trembled. Oh, no, here they are, those who have turned the world upside down. I don't know about you, but I want to be recognized, not because I'm a churchgoer. I'm going to be recognized by unbelievers because I'm dangerous. How are we doing? I want to be dangerous to a dull, boring religion. How are we doing? 
I want to be dangerous to a status quo, half-paralyzed movement. I want to be dangerous to a predictably chaotic yet monotonous culture. I want to be dangerous to an upside-down, broken-hearted, self-reliant, sin-addicted world. I want to be dangerous. I want people to, to say, oh, no, here he comes. Shh, shh. Make believe you're not listening. I'm going to be dangerous in this world for Jesus Christ. And I want to give you permission this, today to be dangerous. I want to give you permission today to put back God's wonder and awe into our midst. I want to give you permission today to tune out the voices that synthesize and distract. Remember, you are important. You do matter. And if you don't do what God has designed you to do, nobody else ever has and nobody else ever will. You matter that much. Every day, grow to be courageous, grow to be humble, grow to be faithful, because God is looking for people to cause uproar, not disorder. <clears throat> now, they were thrown into prison, verse 23, after they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. There's other people in this prison, but the jailer is told, these two guys right here, they're dangerous. These two guys right here, you got you to gotta keep, keep an eye on these guys. And it says, upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Isn't that great? I love that. It reminds me of, uh, uh, of this uh, little cartoon I saw. I might have shared this with you many years ago. It's a cartoon of two guys, and, and they're chained to a wall, and they're, they're, they're just totally emaciated, and, and, and in they're inside this cell. You can see the bars, and outside the cells, there are, are, are a bunch of soldiers with, with guns trained at them, right? And then as you see the cartoon kind of zoom out, you see that they're in this fortress, you know? And in this fortress is, is surrounded by this moat with alligators in them, you know? And then you look across the moat, and there is this mountain with big cannons pointed at them, you know, and it's like, and, and this is the way the cartoon goes. One guy says to the other, don't worry, I got a plan. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus does with us. Don't worry, I got a plan. Don't worry, I got this. And here's Paul and Silas, and they're sitting there going, all right, we are now in jail. And here's number four. Not every prison experience is an excuse for a pity party. Are you following me? Not every prison experience is an excuse for a pity party. And listen to what it says here. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. What? Were there like really good acoustics in there? 
mean, they were just severely beaten. What do you look like when you have been disrobed and beaten? How do you react to a public beating? To rumors being spread about you? How much singing do you do when you're humiliated? See, I think the real us premieres in the arena of trial. It performs in the theater of real-life drama. I think it's easy to be a Christian when everything is going well. It's another thing to praise God when everything seems to be going wrong. I mean, I think God is waiting for us to emerge from the backstage into the limelight. That when crisis draws back the curtain, or for us, maybe it's like a dirty sheet. We're like, here we are. We're ready to take this on. To have the incredible power of credibility, of authenticity, to say, God, I'm with you no matter what, because I am a believer, because I am a, a son or a daughter of God. The awesome display of, 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 of authentic praise, genuine Christian, attractive, magnetic. There is nothing that stands in the crowd more than that. And we have lost sight of that. Believers who demonstrate strength and security, whose character is deeper, whose ideas are fresher. Have you met these? Their spirit is softer. Their courage is greater. Their integrity is higher. Their leadership is strong. Their concerns are broader. And the compassion that they have is unmatched and convinced and convinces everyone. It is unshakable. I don't know, but I think when things get dark is when you see who's got the little candles on. You can't tell when everything is bright. And here is Paul and Silas who decide to sing some hymns. And it says, yeah, I love this. It says, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were probably not bad. <laughs> Maybe they wouldn't have been listening to me. I don't know. But the other prisoners were like, oh, wow. Don't hear this in jail too often. <laughs> this, is a, this, is not, this is not right. This is what's going on over here, right? And then it says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once the prison doors flew open. And everybody's chains came loose. You can write this one down. Not every earthquake is reason to tremble. Some of you guys are going through some intense earthquakes in your lives right now. Some of you guys, you have, the earthquake has just impacted you so much that you're numb. You just, wow. But not every earthquake is a reason to trample. I mean, these guys were beaten. They were thrown into prison. And now there's an earthquake? I love this story. Nancy tells me this is one of her favorite little stories. I read this some years ago, many years ago. In fact, I still have it in, in, in a typewritten form that that I think came out of one of those uh, 
printers with the little dot, the dot matrix printers. <laughs> it's a dot matrix printing story here. I want to read it to you. It's a great story. It goes like this. I was laying bricks at the top of a three-story building. And some of our stories are like this. And when I got done, I had too many bricks left over. I didn't know how I was going to get all the bricks down without having to carry them all down. So I rigged up something. I put a yard arm out of the edge of the building and I attached a pulley to it. And I passed a rope through the pulley and let both ends of the rope down to the ground. And then I climbed down to three flights of stairs and I attached one of the ends of the rope to a wheelbarrow. Following? I hoisted the wheelbarrow up the three flights of stairs, secured the rope, and then I climbed up the three flights of stairs, filled the wheelbarrow with bricks. And then I went back down the three flights of stairs, and I untied the rope. Some of you that know physics already know what's going to happen here. I didn't think that the wheelbarrow was much heavier than I was until it was too late. And all of a sudden, he said, I was holding on to the rope, and I started up, and the wheelbarrow started down. With great speed, he says. We met halfway, and the wheelbarrow banged me upon the head and on the shoulders, gave me severe lacerations, but I said, hey, at least I'm still holding on. <laughs> In fact, I managed to hold on until I got to the top. When of all things, he said, I wedged my finger into the pulley up there, which caused all the bricks at that precise moment to come out of the wheelbarrow, deposit all over the ground, thereby making the wheel much lighter than I was. And all of a sudden, the wheelbarrow started back up and I started back down. And we again met halfway, and this time the wheelbarrow banged me on my feet and on my shins and gave me some more cuts and bruises, but I managed to hold on. Somehow, until of all things, I came crashing down on the ground on top of all those sharp cornered bricks. I was all torn up, and it was then of all things that I lost the presence of mind, and I let go of the rope. <laughs> you ever feel like life is like that? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, is this ever going to end? I mean, who feels like singing on a day like that? Paul and Silas do. At once the prison doors flew open and every chain came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. Isn't that cool? I love that he loves people that way. And here's number six. We're almost done. Not every open door is a reason to escape. Sometimes open doors are a test of our integrity. I mean, how many of us would have said, oh, praise Jesus. We were singing, there's an earthquake, everything's loose, bye-bye. Not Paul and Silas. 
They're like, there's something bigger going on over here. And aren't you glad they waited? Aren't you glad the story doesn't end like that? And they escaped. Oh, there was so much more to the story here. And it says that that the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, apparently there's something you have that I don't have. Apparently, I know what I would have done. I can't believe you. Not only did you not leave, but you somehow kept every other prisoner here too. I don't know how you did this, man. Are you that good of a singer? No. He locks everything up. He says, come on over to the house. He says, what must I do to be saved? Here's what you must do. You must study the Bible every day for the next three years. Then you'll be saved. You must pay tithe and offering. You must go to church every Saturday. And then we'll have an interview. Is that what he said? He said, you must what? Believe. Some of you are sitting here wishing that somebody had told you that many, many years ago instead of all the other junk you heard. I get it. I talk to people like that every single day of my life. And it bothers me to no end. But I want you to hear this today. I want you to receive this right now. Listen to what it said. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord and they began to have a Bible study. Isn't that cool? And at that hour of the night, not three weeks later, the jailer took and washed their wounds and immediately he and his family, immediately he and his family, immediately he and his family were what? Baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and they set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. That's why. Not because the prisoners didn't, leave, didn't escape, but because he came to believe in God. He and his whole family. And when, when it was daylight... The magistrates sent the, their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you, that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. No, I can't. Not everybody's heard my song. And this is the, the last one. Again, not everyone who predicts the future is a prophet of God. Not everyone who endorses you is necessary on your side. Not everyone, not every uproar causes disorder. Not every prison experience is an excuse for a pity party. Not every earthquake is a reason to tremble. Not every open door is a reason to escape. And finally, not every command to go is intended for your benefit. No siree. Go sometimes means uh, leave us alone because we don't want to hear it anymore. Go sometimes means stop embarrassing us. Go sometimes is an invitation to small thinking. You get the win, but no prize. I love this. It says, Paul and Silas said to the officers, 
They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. See, Paul knew what he was doing. And they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. No way. See, we need people that are dangerous like this. We need people like this in the church today. We have become too sanitized. Can I say that? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, that's not a good thing, they were alarmed, and so they came and appeased them. Did you catch that? They came and appeased them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Would you please leave? <laughs> would that be okay? We would really be appreciative of that. And after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house. Can you imagine the story? They said, oh, wait till you hear what we just went through. And yeah, 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 we actually told them, come and escort us. And they actually came and escorted us out. Man, it was so awesome. We came out, and all those people that beat us, we were coming out like this, clean. The jailer was applauding with all his family. Oh, what a day. Can you imagine the testimony? So, sing in the shower. Sing in your church. Sing in your homes. Sing when you're up. Sing when you're down. Sing when it's sunny. Sing in the middle of a storm. Just sing. In fact, don't be shy. When I tell you to sing, you just sing a little louder. Can you do that? Can you just sing as loud as you can right now? And let the enemy know nothing is going to stop your singing. Nothing. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to raise our hallelujahs, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, example that we have in Paul and Silas singing no matter what, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to be able to sing when times are great and even when times are, are rough, Lord. Please, Lord, give us that voice. Whether we sing great and in tune or not, Lord, just help us to sing and to praise you no matter what, Lord. We love you, Father. We pray that as we disperse and go our separate ways, that your Holy Spirit be with us and guide us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.